chapter 13. Holding out a little bit of hope to validate my existence. Somebody, just somebody was thinking in the last six weeks, did we ever finish Hebrews? No. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13. Let's continue reading where Wilson left off. So he read Hebrews 13, 1 through 9. Let me pick up in verse 10. We spent four weeks in the book of Numbers around Christmas and after Christmas. And then last year. Hebrews, verse 10. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience. That's a beautiful thing. Desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Our text this morning is Hebrews 13. Our title, which I think will become clear in a bit, is Bedrooms and bankrolls. Bedrooms and bankrolls. Hebrews 13. Would you please join me in prayer? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for angels. We thank you for Joshua. Thank you for Aaron. Lord, we thank you for all of the 
priests. We thank you for Moses. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for a new and better covenant. Please help us to see yet once again that Jesus is supreme and greater and that he is better. Lord, help us in all humility and in all boldness now. Help us not not to neglect the gospel. Lord, but would you prepare all of our hearts, every person, believer, unbeliever, we would all see Christ and be changed. Lord, not through the weakness that I can bring to the table, but what you bring through your word. Help us and find us faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Consider Jesus Christ. Look with me in the text, if you would, at verse 12. Hebrews 13, verse 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. Therefore, let us go to Him outside the camp and bear the reproach He endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come through Him then. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Jesus Christ. When we come to Hebrews chapter 13 this morning, we come to a very nitty gritty section. We come to a very practical section of Scripture. But we do not leave behind Jesus Christ. And our author will not allow us to do that. Because everything he's been saying up to this point, in fact, is very practical. To say that the practical begins here and was nowhere to be found in chapters 1-12 through would be a big mistake. Nevertheless, it is true If you want to know the big picture of Hebrews chapter 13, it's very similar to other New Testament letters. Here's the the big deal this morning. Just like other New Testament letters, you have gospel doctrine first, and then you have the implications and applications of the gospel fleshed out in very specific commands in the nitty-gritty details of life. We just started a new study. It's been going on for two weeks with our uh, teenagers on Wednesday nights. And I have had the opportunity to be with them this past Wednesday. So we're doing this study. uh, It's called Urban Legends of Theology. Common Misconceptions. You know what an urban legend is. Common Misconceptions. Uh, We stumbled upon this study, and uh, it's really kind of cool. Listen to some of these misconceptions, urban legends. It is important to believe in something and it does not matter what. Last week, we did this one. 
faith begins when knowledge ends. These may have the ring of truth, but they're not true. Theology puts God in a box. You shouldn't waste your life on temporal things. That sounds really spiritual. My, uh, my body is a temporary residence for my immortal soul. All sin is the same before God. Jesus never spoke about homosexuality. You're not supposed to judge. These are all urban legends, misconceptions. God won't give you more than you can handle. Jesus loves sinners and dislikes religious people. Just to be clear, these are not true. We are all God's children. Justification means just as if I'd never sinned. Listen to these. I'm not just bringing these up randomly. Some of these in particular will have a bearing on Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13 seems like, okay, it's just a string of isolated verses. Um, it's very practical, but again, it focuses on Jesus Christ. A couple more of these, or more, five of these. Christianity is a religion, is not a religion, it's a relationship. I don't need church to have a relationship with God. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. We say this stuff all the time without thinking about it. It's fine. It's not like you're a terrible person if you said one of these. We all have. Death is not a tragedy for Christians. You know me. You know that I do not love the, the extremely common thing in our society of calling it a celebration of life. Again, it's not the end of the world, okay? But it's a lie to say that death is not a tragedy for Christians. And here finally, I could give you more, but here's another one. This one's a little bit humorous, but it's also sad that people think this way. Grandpa went to heaven and plays outfield for the angels. It's okay to laugh. It's really sad. These types of things are so common in our, in our society and in the church, but they're urban legends. They're urban legends. Consider Jesus Christ. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 13 this morning. Let's run through four things here. Four things. The first of them is this. Number one is sacrifices pleasing to God. Sacrifices pleasing to God. You see that language in verse 16. Look there with me. Hebrews 13, 16. In the second part of that verse, it says, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So I want to encourage you this morning in this first point. Each of these points is going to have a little, uh, a little action verb for you to consider. I want to encourage you to offer, if you're a believer this morning, to offer sacrifices pleasing to God. Offer sacrifices pleasing to God. Look at the first part of verse 16. You say, how do we do that? What is that? What does that mean? Do not neglect to do good 
and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, the first thing for you to do is not to think, okay, I need to offer sacrifices pleasing to God. We're glad you're here, dear friend. The first thing you need to do is to look to the sacrifice of Christ that He made by offering His body and His blood on the cross for sinners in your place if you repent of your sins and trust in Him. But specifically to you, my fellow church member, my fellow believer, my brother, my sister, offer sacrifices that are pleasing to God. Is it too much to say to do things that bring joy and pleasure to God? That's a big thought. To do things in your life that bring joy and pleasure to God. It's still near the beginning of this new year. Do you know that for the Christian, good works are massively important? Massively important. And so it says very simply here in verse 16, do not neglect to do good. Did you hear me say anything about doing good works earns your salvation? No, you didn't hear me say that. So I'm just going to skip right past that. I am saying good works for the Christian and for the church are massively important. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. Dear brother and sister, offer sacrifices that are pleasing to God. Well, look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. Through Him then, that is through Jesus, as Wilson prayed this morning, as we're gathering, we gather because Jesus is alive. Through Him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. You see that in verse 15? Do you see why I'm saying offer sacrifices pleasing to God? Look at verse 15 again. In the Psalms, in the Psalms, you can read about a sacrifice of praise to God. But as per the Old Covenant, it did involve animals. That was just part of the Old Covenant. And so God gave some great act of deliverance in your life. You bring an animal and you offer a sacrifice of praise. This is not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about the psalmist version of a sacrifice of praise with an animal. He's talking about the fruit of lips that look to the cross. Listen to me, that look to the cross and resurrection and say, this is my salvation. And I praise you, Lord, and let my life be one where my deeds and my words are a sacrifice of praise to you. Offer to God pleasing sacrifices. And again, let me be crystal clear. It says it there in verse 16. Do good. Share what you have. The, the fruit of your lips. Verse 15. It's not, it's not animal sacrifices. The number one sacrifice that pleases God is certainly not bulls and goats. It is His Son. Hear me clearly. The number one sacrifice that pleases God is not, first of all, our worship 
although that's vital. It's not, first of all, you're doing good, although that's vital. Or sharing what you have, massively important. The sacrifice that pleases God, first and foremost, is the sacrifice that He ordained of His Son. And it's right here in our text. Look in verse 10. Look in verse 10. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Oh, this new covenant is so much better. Verse 11, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. Therefore, based on that verse, let no one say, I follow Jesus when your whole life betrays otherwise because Jesus died and shed His blood to sanctify a people for Himself, to set apart a people in holiness. Believers are sanctified even though we are growing in holiness and we sin daily. We are saints. We are sanctified. Jesus did this through shedding His blood. And verse 13 says, Therefore, let us go to Him outside the camp. Let me very quickly wrap up this point number one. Offer sacrifices pleasing to God. Do good. Do good works. Share what you have. The fruit of your lips. It's not animal sacrifices. It is the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And really, this whole chapter represents sacrifices pleasing to God. You know, this whole chapter, it goes back to 1228. 1228. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and all. If you pay close attention to 1228, you'll see that the explanation of it is chapter 13. What does he mean in 1228 when he says, let us offer to God acceptable worship? What's acceptable worship? Well, it's, it's chapter 13. Number two. Number two, this is verses one through three. And number one was getting the big picture, okay? Now let's, let's start off here. Number two is verses one through three. Look at it with me. Hebrews 13, verse one, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. You see that there in Hebrews 13, 1 through 3. You know, these verses here in this chapter don't really require a ton of, of explanation necessarily, right? As much as they do for us to hear and to receive and to be ready to put into practice. Uh, we, we don't need uh, uh, exegesis so much necessarily to, what, what does that mean? Well, the brotherly love, I mean, the word is Philadelphia. You know, no, it's, it's, it's plain, right? These are clear. Let brotherly love continue. So this is number two. 
I told you I had four. Number two is verses one through three, and let me put it in this phrase. Here it is. Practice brotherly love, hospitality, and prison ministry. Practice brotherly love, hospitality, and prison ministry. Number three. Number three is this. Honor marriage and the marriage bed. Honor marriage and the marriage bed. This is verses 4 through 6. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. By the way, compare 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 4 says something very similar. When it comes to sexual sin, God is the one who will avenge. He's the judge. He's not blind to sexual sin. Verse 4, Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. And there is abundant forgiveness through the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you hear me? Verse 5, Keep your life free from love of money. And be content with what you have, for He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And by the way, when we were last here in Hebrews, we spent basically a whole sermon looking at Psalm 118, which is verse 6 here. In verse 6, he's quoting Psalm 118, which is a most wonderful psalm, because the book of Hebrews just keeps sending us back, back all the time to previous Scripture, the Old Testament as we call it. And it's just a wonderful book, this book of Hebrews. Jesus is better. Well, as I said, verses 1 through 6 there don't require a ton of explanation as much as they do for us to receive them and to be ready to obey and to repent. Listen to this from Guthrie here. Listen carefully. Verses 1 through 6 demonstrate that true Christian commitment involves living out commitment to Christ in the nitty-gritty of daily living. Well, the Bible, you know, the Bible's not practical enough for me. Have you read it? Hebrews 13? You'll see where I get the title now. He says this, Beds and bankrolls cannot be separated from theology. This is where the reality of our relationship with God is manifested. Right here, verses 1 through 6. The dusty and crowded sidewalks, the kitchen tables, the lunchrooms and lounges are the places where we must confess His name and do good and share with others if we are to live authentically as believers. We must work out these principles in daily practice. And again, as I've already highlighted, I liked what he said there. Bedrooms and bankrolls. Yes, chapter 13 is, well, it's it's certainly not just an add-on. Yes, it is a little bit different. You've got all these practical instructions. But what chapter 13 is, is implications from the gospel doctrine. He's been preaching Jesus Christ, His person and His work, who Jesus is, what He has done. And he, He continues to do that, as we've already seen. He's not just giving tips here. Although it's very nitty-gritty, it's very specific, it's very helpful, he's interweaving it back. 
belief and behavior, doctrine and duty, theology and therefore. Just look at verse 8 again. Look at this again. Verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. I think what he's saying is, verse 8, Jesus Christ never changes. God never changes. Verse 9, the covenant has changed. So why are you still focused on food and sacrifice and the temple when Jesus is the temple? When there's a new and better covenant? Why are you getting so hung up on food and how many babies you got to have and all these types of things? He says Jesus is better. Don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And I'll say it again. The sacrifice that pleases God most is that He bruised His Son for sinners. He suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people. Number one, offer sacrifices pleasing to God. Number two, practice brotherly love, hospitality, and prison ministry. Number three, honor marriage and the marriage bed. And don't forget about how he speaks about covetousness, greed. Right there in verse four, or I'm sorry, verse five. Number four. Number four. This could be potentially awkward for me to speak about, but I will not withhold from the Word of God. In fact, this is a big part of this text. Number four is your posture towards your leaders. Your posture toward your leaders. And we see that this is a big deal because in verse 7 he says this. I want you to look at this and I want you to listen. We live in an age that does not like authority. Institutions are suspect. I don't need the church to follow God. Christianity is about a relationship, not about a religion. Don't tell the James that. I'm talking about James in the book of the Bible. You tell him that, he may whoop you too, I don't know. We live in an age that is suspicious of institutional church, of authority, of church membership. Look at verse 7. Remember your leaders, which would presuppose that you have leaders. Dear friend, do you have leaders? Are they your leaders? They're not really your leaders if you're not formally submitted underneath them. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. This leaders thing gets a lot of traction here. Listen to me. You see it incidentally at the very end. In verse 24, where he says, Greet all your leaders and all the saints. And so I want to speak for just a minute about your posture toward your leaders. And again, part of the difficulty in speaking about this is we live in a culture of rampant freedom and individualism. 
So our brothers and sisters in, uh, at Grace Church just outside of Los Angeles have some great church distinctives, which we would pretty much identify with all their distinctives. Here's one of them. It's on church membership. Listen to this. In a day when commitment is a rare commodity, it should come as no surprise that church membership is such a low priority to so many believers. Sadly, it is not uncommon for Christians to move from church to church, never submitting themselves to the care of elders and never committing themselves to a group of fellow believers. To neglect or to refuse to join a church as a formal member, however, reflects a misunderstanding of the believer's responsibility to the body of Christ. It also cuts one off from the many blessings and opportunities that flow from this commitment. It is essential for every Christian to understand what church membership is and why it matters. Now, let's be clear. You may be saying, don't we need to stay with the text? I don't see church membership in this text. Well, sometimes we may not see the word, but I submit to you it's all over this text. One of the parts of church membership involves leaders, also known as elders, and those who respond to the elders. This passage, dear friend, listen to me, if you look at verse 17 and verse 7, and the reason we know this is so important is because he brackets 7 and 17 is a major section, and the bracket to those sections is he's talking about church leaders. He talks in verse 17 in particular some very sober words to church leaders. So my fellow elders, listen up, uh, of course, and maybe you here this morning who aspire to be an elder, it says in verse 17, they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. It's a sober thing to be an elder in Christ's church. We need your prayers. So there is a word here for leaders in the church. But if you would notice, the word that he writes is not directed to the leaders. There is teaching here for the leaders, but there is direct teaching to the whole church, which is to say to the members. He does say in verse 17, by implication, man, you've got a serious job. We will give an account. But what he says directly to you, and that's one of the beautiful things, right? As I'm not up here saying this to you, we have a plurality of elders, Neither am I saying that Paul here or whoever wrote Hebrews is saying write a blank check to the leaders. That's not what he's saying. You don't follow certain leaders. You shouldn't follow them. Only in as much as they follow the gospel. If you don't follow leaders who do follow the gospel, then that just endangers you. Obey your leaders and submit to them. So I told you there's these, there's these verb words, these action words. Offer sacrifices. Practice brotherly love. Honor marriage. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls. Verse 17. As those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. My dear brother who used to pastor in this town, many of you know him, as I was reading that uh, this Grace Church thing a minute ago um, about church membership, it makes me think, my dear brother said, uh, he, he pastors in Georgia now, he 
said, even though we know that Americans change churches a lot, um, he said he's never seen anything like it in Goldsboro. Just the just changing of churches, of believers, many some who may not be believers. Uh, again, as this, this document says from Grace Church, in a day when commitment is a rare commodity, it should come as no surprise that church membership is a low priority. My intention is not to browbeat. My intention is to say, are you a Christian? It's extremely common today for Christians to even wear it as a badge of honor not to join the church. This would not have been the thought of the New Testament. This was not the thought of the Bible. This is very common today. Can I say something to you men? I love you. This says in verse 7, I want you to listen to this, men, because not only am I asking you to pray for us, we need you. We need your help. You don't pay me or the other elders who are unpaid, who are giving hours upon untold hours. You don't pay them at all or me to do the work of the church. We are to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And the point that I'm trying to make here is that leaders in the church of Jesus Christ are men. Leaders primarily are elders. Not any man. Godly, qualified men. So what I want to say here is that when it says, remember your leaders, we need leaders. Which begins with those who join the church and serve the church. Men, we love it when your wife serves this church. Godly women serving the local church is indispensable. But don't, please don't, just be a cheerleader for your wife serving in the church. I don't actually have an axe to grind, but feminism has won the day in the culture. And in the conservative church, feminism has won the day. Let's not merely be a cheerleader for your wife serving in the church. We need leaders. And leaders in Christ's church are godly, qualified men. And when that happens, the indispensable ministry of women will also flourish. Remember your leaders, he says in verse 7. Those who spoke to you the word of God. Some people think this means those who have died. Remember your leaders who have died. Like Hebrews 11, you know, like all this hall of faith. I think it could also be those who are alive. Uh, there's, it's split on that. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Which again, speaks to us as leaders. Ray and James, Ben. We have to live a life by the grace of God and only by the grace of God that is worthy of imitation. As it says there in verse 7. Your posture toward your leader's authority, church membership, Institutional church, religion, relationship. All of this is the greatness of the new covenant. Go back to the end of verse 12 with me. Or chapter 12, I'm sorry.
chapter 12, verse 25, I want you to notice something here. I want you to notice the urgency, which if we've been following him at all is nothing new. Chapter 12, verse 25. With great urgency, he says, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. There's this urgency here. Uh, One of the benefits, one of the benefits of what's called consecutive exposition, preaching through books of the Bible, section by section, is that the preacher comes upon something that's like, I've never seen that that way before, or I've never seen it before. And I just want to very quickly show you this, because I love how he interweaves practical and, and, and doctrine and, and duty and doctrine and belief and behavior and theology. And therefore, and this is just one of those passages that I've just got to remind you of before we close. I just want you to see this again. It's 12, 22 through 24. Because this, as we, as we were going through this book, this is one of those, as somebody who already appreciated the new covenant, this is like, wow, this is beautiful. This is lovely. This is Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12, 22. He says, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus is better. It's a better mountain. He says seven things, and I'm not going into them in verses 22 through 24. Seven descriptors which match and surpass the seven descriptors given of the old mountain, Mount Sinai, in 18 through 21. I'm just simply reminding you of this to say the superiority of the new covenants. Jesus Christ is better. Verse 24 of chapter 12 is beautiful. The sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So be thankful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us worship God with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And how do we go about doing this? What does that look like? Thank you, author of Hebrews chapter 13. The story is told, it's a great story, of three apprentice devils who were training under the leader, Satan. And the leader said to these three apprentice devils, anybody got any good ideas? What are you going to do today? And the first apprentice devil said, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to tell them there's no God. And the devil, the leader, Satan said to them, eh, bad idea. There may be some fools who would believe you when you go out there and tell them there's no God. But even in the 21st century, you may be surprised to see the decline of atheism. Anybody else got any other ideas? Apprentice devils? The second one said, I will tell them that there's no judgment. Satan says, that's a better idea. That's better. It's not good, 
but it's better. You'll even get some of the uh, preachers and pastors to believe that. There's no judgment. He said the problem with that is that even though people's therapists tell them not to feel guilty, everybody knows what guilt is. Are you with me? We're almost done here. Everybody knows what guilt is. Everybody knows instinctively, intuitively, that there is a coming judgment. Everybody knows that there's God. He speaks it loudly in creation. Everybody even knows that there's a coming judgment. That's not the greatest idea. Anybody, any other ideas of what we're going to do today? And the third apprentice devil says, I will tell them that there's no hurry. And Satan says, bingo. That's precisely it. That's exactly what you need to tell them. That there's no hurry. Let them sit in the church and listen to the Word of God and say, this is good. Let them listen to the preaching of the Word of God and say, I like this. This is good. I love how this church keeps the Word of God central. This church is better than other churches. Let them listen to the Word of God and say, that's nice. I'll do something about it later. That's precisely what he wants, is to say that there's no hurry. Dear friend, Jesus is better. And what he's saying in this text is, Jesus is better, so don't go away from him. You've heard me say that 35 times now, and I'm saying it again. Hebrew Christians, Jewish Christians, American Christians, in 2024, Jesus is better. So don't depart from him. If you're here this morning and as an unbeliever, today is the day of salvation. There, there is a hurry because there is a God and there is a judgment. Don't fall asleep. If you're here as a believer this morning, hear these words of grace because it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. And grace can include tough words. Let's receive them from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, it is all according to your grace, even as he goes on to say, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. So Lord, we make this our prayer. O oh, great shepherd of the sheep. Great shepherd of the sheep, You died and shed Your blood to sanctify a people for Your own possession who are zealous for good works. So O oh God, would You equip us with everything good that we may do Your will. Because if You don't work in us, we have nothing to work out. We praise you. May we be strengthened by grace. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.